One doubt. We've been talking about giants in the last few weeks. We've covered disarming the giant of anxiety, giant of anger, giant of offense. Last week talked about the giant of temptation. And boy, did that one send repercussions throughout many areas. I dealt all week long with the repercussions of that message because it it brought repentance. It did. Something. Now, by the way, we need to keep praying for our folks in Panama. Uh, Twelve of our, our church members went with Pastor Brendan. I know that they've been going to different parts of Panama. I read that in one of the parts they went to, 10,000 people came out to hear the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? So we're glad of that. So we pray that they get home safely. Today I want to talk to you about the giant of doubt. Doubt is very real. Doubt affects everyone in this room at one time or another. Doubt is affecting some of you right now. So I'm going to talk about it. And I want to show you uh, just one verse of somebody that you wouldn't expect would have doubts. But he did. His name is John the Baptist. Let's read it. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things Jesus was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Wow. Let's pray. Father, we give to you the doubts that we face sometimes. We give to you that stronghold that can erect itself against the knowledge of God. That stronghold of doubt that can just hinder us and take us down if we don't know how to disarm it. And I pray that today there would be a liberty, a setting free, a breaking of strongholds of doubt in the minds and lives of people here in this sanctuary, watching live, and who will hear this by radio. Lord, break those strongholds, bring the doubts down, and bring every thought to obedience to Christ. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Now, can you say with me to the Lord, say, Lord, I give you any doubts. Give me victory over that giant. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and say, when it comes to doubting God, I doubt it. Amen. Now, I want you to catch who it is we just read about. That's John the Baptist. Now, think with me for a minute. The one who said, are you the one that we should be looking for or do we look for another? That, that same John the Baptist is, is the one who pointed to Jesus as he was baptizing in the River Jordan and Jesus began to approach. And John the Baptist pointed to him and he did not say, behold, maybe the Lamb of God or behold, that might be the Lamb of God or behold, perhaps that's the Lamb of God. He said, behold, emphatically, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had no doubt when he said that. It's the same John the Baptist who was standing there when Jesus came up out of the water and the Bible says the Spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove and it was visible. John saw that. Are you the one that we are to be looking for or do we look for another? It was the same John the Baptist standing there when an audible voice thundered from heaven and said, 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He heard it. He was standing there. This John the Baptist is the one of whom Jesus said, not a greater man has been born among women than John. It was that John. And yet, what in the world has happened? Now he's saying, are you the one that we are to look for? Do we look for another? We find him in prison. He's in prison for calling out Herod and Herodias' adultery. They didn't like hearing the straight truth about their relationship, so they had him thrown into prison. And John knows that he's in his final days. I think he senses, I'm not emerging from this prison. This is it. It's the curtain call. I'm not coming out. My days are done. I can feel it. They're not going to let me return home. So I want to be sure that I've got my faith where it ought to be. And he was having a moment of doubt. Rather than shining forth with unmovable resolve and confidence, this great man who was the heralder of the coming of Jesus is tossed with doubt. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or do we look elsewhere? Now Jesus answered him. Jesus sent a messenger and said, you tell John the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus knew that John knew what the earmarks of the ministry of the Messiah would be. So he said, you tell him all the miracles that are happening. And that is how he confirmed to John that he was indeed the Messiah. But my point is this, he had a season of doubt. If there is anybody you could have lined up for me in the Bible who I would have expected would have experienced doubt, John wouldn't have been one of them. But he did. He had doubt. Now, newsflash, if John the Baptist can experience doubt, you can and I can. Doubt is common to everybody. Now, let me tell you what doubt is defined as, just so we can understand each other. Here's doubt. It it, it simply means to be uncertain about something. To be uncertain about something. To be unconvinced that something is true. There are people who want to believe. I had a woman tell me one time, Jeff, I want to pray. I really wish that I could have faith to pray. But I just have doubts that anybody's hearing me. She was very honest with me. And i got to tell you, there have been many times in my Christian life where I experienced doubt. I was born into a family that had an intellectual bent. My dad was, had a genius IQ. He was in that national club called Mensa. So he was a very cerebral, thinking, widely read man. And when I got saved as a 16-year-old in juvenile home, uh, believe me, I went home guns blazing. I have found the Messiah. And the first thing I got was peppered and sprayed with all kinds of questions that were deeper than the average bear. And, and they, 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 they threatened to knock the props out from under my newfound faith. And so I had to dig deep and I had to dig hard and I had to, I had to search early on for answers to questions sewn into my mind that brought doubt. And I found that if you're an honest doubter and you go to God with it, God will give you an honest answer. You don't have to wallow and wander in doubt. God will answer you. And some of you listening to me right now, some watching, 
You have doubts. Deep down inside, you have doubts. There are certain things you cannot fully enter into in God because you are hindered. There's a roadblock of doubt. It, it, it's, it's like a little gnat flying around the outer periphery of your soul. Or it could be like a wolf that is really chewing on you. A doubt. You want to believe it, you're just uncertain about some things. You're unconvinced that some things about God are true. Let me just give you some uh, comforting uh, words right now. It's okay to doubt. It's normal to doubt. As a matter of fact, if you've got an IQ above room temperature, you're thinking enough to have some doubts. Thinking people doubt. And we're all thinking people. It's not a sin to doubt. There is nothing sinful about having an honest doubt. In fact, You've probably got some now. You've had some, and you're going to have some more. And I want to assure you that Jesus doesn't look at you and say, well, I just can't believe they're doubting. That's sin. I'm against them for doubting. God doesn't do that. You know, Jesus was always pointing out doubt in the lives of his disciples. You remember when Simon Peter said, Lord, if that's you walking on the water, call me out. Jesus said, come. And, and Simon Peter stepped out of the boat and was literally walking on water. Oh, please. Everybody talks about how he sank. That man was walking on water for a while. Okay? But then it says he looked at the waves, looked at the wind. He took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. Now, the Bible says that Jesus reached out and grabbed him and pulled him up. And he said this to him. He said, he said you have so little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, the original language suggests, why did you doubt me? Why'd you doubt me? Why'd you doubt? I'm not going to let you sink. I'm not going to let you drown. I'm here. You could have walked on water as long as you wanted to, as long as your eyes were on me. But why'd you doubt? Now, let me make a distinction today. There is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Many people think that, that doubt is sort of the evil flip side of faith. If you're doubting, that is the two sides of the coin. One side is faith, the other side is doubt. And if you're walking in doubt, then that's the evil, wrong, sinful flip side of faith. But it's not. Doubt is not the evil flip side of faith. Unbelief is. Unbelief is the evil, sinful flip side of faith. Listen to what the Bible says, Hebrews 3.12 Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, here's what unbelief is. It is a willful refusal to believe in spite of all the apparent facts. There are people who have rejected Christ, rejected God, who have walked away from him, not because they didn't truly believe he was there, but because they did not want him. So in spite of all the evidence, they walked away in an evil heart of unbelief. And that is sin. When, when you've got all the evidence, but you walk away in unbelief and go your own way, that's what's going to be judged in the last day. Unbelief. But that's not the way that God sees doubt. See, the doubter has real, genuine questions. They're, they're honest doubters. They're honest seekers. They really want some questions answered 
And they're not being malicious about it. They're not using it as an excuse to walk away from God. They've just got some unsettledness inside and they need an answer. But the one with unbelief says, I don't want him. I want to go my own way. Let me tell you something. If you ever arrive at a place where all your doubts are gone and all your questions are answered, take a deep breath and relax because you have arrived in heaven. Thank God in heaven there will be no more doubt. No more questions, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache, no more extra strength, etc. No more doctors, no more temptation, no more devil in heaven. But until then, we have to struggle and deal with many things. The Bible says that it is by much tribulation we enter into the kingdom of God. I really think it might be a good thing, and I told the the first two services this. I really think it might be a good thing, and I'm thinking about doing it at least for a season. If every door, hanging over every door of every church in America, there was a sign with two words, and it said, Doubters, welcome. Doubters, welcome. Because I think the perception of the church is, no, we got it all together. We've got all the answers. When you decide to catch up, you can catch up. But in the meantime, if you come in here, we've got it all together. We are together, man. We've got all the answers. We have no more questions. And, and, and that attitude is, is, is given to our culture when, in fact, it's not true. We deal with doubts. We deal with temptations. We deal with failures. We deal with defeats. We, I don't want to give that impression. So I want to say to anybody wondering about coming here, watching, listening by radio, if you have doubts, you are welcome. If you've got questions, you are welcome. If you're uncertain, come on to Turning Point. If you're a skeptic, come inside. If you're searching for truth, we will not look down on you because we're all in the same seeking, struggling, reaching, believing boat. You know, when you read history, uh, it's a historical fact that some of the greatest doubters have often become the strongest believers. Oh, I can think of several. And do you know that honest doubts, once resolved, often become the foundation of an unshakable faith? That, that is where you had that strongest doubt, and when God answers it, it becomes the strongest part of your foundation because once you're convinced, you are really, really convinced. And here's the good news. If you're an honest seeker, God will give you an honest answer and sometimes in a miraculous way. Looking back on my own life, my former doubts have proven to be, and I had some. I had questions about the Word of God sometimes where it seemed like there were contradictions and I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't reconcile the contradictions and I had to ask God to help me, and He did. There were times I doubted the the full veracity of the Word of God. There were times I doubted my salvation when I was struggling as a young Christian. There were times when I just had doubts, and and, and I would read things, and, and my parents would say things to me that would throw me for a loop for a while. But my former doubts have proven to be the very things that made my faith stronger once they were answered, and they were all answered. Frederick Buechner put it this way. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. (laughs) I like that. 
Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. What does that mean? That means you're cooking along, everything's fine. All of a sudden you get a doubt. Well, you can either let that doubt take you down and out, or you can let that doubt cause you to search and pray and dig deeper than you ever would have. And when the answer finally comes, you realize that those doubts have worked for your good. They were like ants in the pants of your faith. You grew. They, they took away your ability to sit there and just cruise control through life. And some of you have got doubts today. And if you ask God to answer those doubts, those doubts are going to be like ants in the pants of your faith. You're going to get up and be moving forward on a level you never would have before. They keep it awake and moving. Doubts do. They keep our faith awake and moving. Now, doubt manifests itself in three arenas of life, primarily. Let me give them to you. First, there's intellectual doubts. This is where I really experienced a lot, and my, my, my dad did as well. By the way, I was, had the joy of leading my dad to Christ a few years before he died. So that was pretty cool. God really did that. But there are intellectual doubts. Uh, these are doubts often raised by people outside of the church. And we've got a lot of people out there now. A new atheist movement has gained ground. Really best-selling atheistic books are being published. College students are reading them. A lot of professors in Christ are reading them. And, and they sow doubts about our faith. Intellectual doubts. We hear all the time, how can the Bible be the Word of God? How do you know the Bible is the Word of God? How can you prove it? It's just like any other book written by men. That's what we hear. Or how do you know Jesus was the Son of God? He was just like other teachers, other world religious leaders. He just had a lot of charisma, said good things, but he wasn't. How do you know he's the Son of God? Or come on, you don't really believe that a dead man got up from the dead. You don't really believe that resurrection stuff. Come on. That's not logical. No, but it's godical. I just thought of that. <laughs> Maybe I coined a new word, godical. All right. Popular books by unbelieving, very charismatic and convincing atheists like Richard uh, Dawkins and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens wrote all these great, not great in the sense of great, but bestsellers that millions read. And it knocked the props out from under the legs of their faith. Fictional novels like The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown made a movie out of it, have also sown the seeds of doubt in the hearts of literally millions and millions of people. Convincing. Not to mention the pervasive influence of evolution. I think that's the worst one. Because from the time a child is yay high, growing all the way up until they go off to college, they are taught that something came from nothing. That there is no God. That long, long, long ago, there was a little amoeba that crawled out of some ancient sea and eventually grew legs and arms and eyes and became all these different species. And looking at it at face value, it is absolutely logically crazy. <laughs> and yet, we are told that it's science. But let me give you some news today. Evolution is not settled science. It has never been settled science. 
said, well, they taught it to me like it was settled. I know they did, but it was wrong. It's not settled. You are not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, fashioned, designed by God. Evolution will make a monkey out of you. Now you say, well, Pastor Jeff, you ought not make fun because everybody knows. If you have a thinking brain, everybody knows that evolution is a fact. It is not a fact. It has never been proven to be a fact. Like global warming has never been proven to be a fact that we're told it's settled science. It's not settled. Look around you. Clearly, the creation was by design. An artist made it. His name is God. The birds. Kathy, I've been waking up every morning at the beautiful sound of this bird singing who knows that it's spring. This bird is letting everything know that it's spring. Sitting in the top of our tree, just singing to his heart's content from the rising of the sun all day long, sitting in one place, just singing. And I look at that and I go, that just happened? Let me tell you something. Something doesn't come out of nothing. You know what comes out of nothing? Nothing. Now, I could park right here, but i got to move on. You see, all the reasons that doubt is sown, intellectual doubt. Then there's spiritual doubts. Spiritual doubts are usually experienced by people who are born again, who are in the church, who are children of God, but they have spiritual doubts. And here's the way they manifest. Am I really a Christian? Have I really believed? If I am, why is it so hard for me to pray? Why do I have so many doubts if I am a Christian? If I've been forgiven, why do I still feel guilty? Why is it taking so long to me to ex- for me to experience healing? I've just got questions. That's the spiritual doubts. Now, there's a third kind, circumstantial doubts. And circumstantial doubts, I think, are the most destructive. And they're the most common. Circumstantial doubts is the most common category because it encompasses all the whys and wherefores of life. Why did my child die? Why did my marriage break up? Why am I so lonely and alone? If God's with me, why am I so alone? Why can't I find somebody? Why did my good Christian friend betray me? If God is really there. Where where was God when I was abused by that person as a child? Where was God? Now watch this. These are the questions that arise at the intersection of faith and the painful reality of living in a fallen world. That's when these doubts arise. My faith says one thing, but... Living in this painful world tells me another, and I can't reconcile the two, so I've got doubts. Where's God? Where was God? Where is he? Where's he moving in my life? It's right here that a lot of people say it it must not be real, and they walk away and they bail ship, and they don't understand that if you would just hang on, God's plan would be revealed to you. I can tell you that these circumstantial doubts are the most common and potentially the most destructive. And here's why. Because when we refuse to deal with circumstantial doubts, where was God? I thought he was going to do this in this time period, in this way. 
and he didn't. And if we don't deal with that, they soon become spiritual doubts. And those spiritual doubts eventually become intellectual doubts. And I personally, in 30 years of pastoring, I've witnessed underlying circumstantial doubts eat away like termites at a person's faith to the place they eventually leave the church and leave the faith and become a Buddhist or whatever, which is just a wooden idol. It's a cistern that can't hold water. But this happens with doubt. I want to tell you, doubt can be insidious. It's down here. And and, and you know something's wrong. You know something's bugging you. You know that something is hindering you. And if you were to sit down and listen to yourself and be honest with somebody, you would tell them it's a doubt. I've got a question, and it hasn't been answered. I'm doubting the presence of God, the, the goodness of God, the nearness of God, the faithfulness of God, the reality of God. So it's, it's not that you experience doubt, because everybody does, but what you do with the doubt matters big time. I want to share with you three simple keys to move from doubt to faith. Because that's what we want to happen, doubt to faith. Now, first... Believe it or not, bring your doubts to God. Let me tell you what God never says. He never says, oops. And he never says, well, I'll be. You go, God, I have doubts. God doesn't sit up there and have a nervous breakdown in heaven. He doesn't turn to Gabriel and say, can you believe that they have doubt? The Bible says that God knows what's on your mind before you say it. He knows what you need before you pray it. Think with me. This is what John the Baptist did. He took his doubts to God. He sent messengers to Jesus saying, are you the one or we look for another? I'll admit to you. I know I baptized you. I know that I pointed to you and said, there's the Lamb of God. But I'm having doubts. Are you the one? Was I right? Was I on the money? Or did I miss it? He sent his Doubt to the Lord. And the Lord answered him. And when they took John's head off and he died in martyrdom, he went straight into the presence of the Lord because he died in faith in the right Messiah. The Lord did not upbraid him for doubting. The Lord answered his doubts. Amen. God's a big God. He can handle your doubts. He can handle it if you say, I'm really questioning if you're there. He can handle that. He will be okay after you say that. You know, many of the Bible heroes like Job, David, Abraham, Moses, they all took their doubts to God. Listen to David's doubt. He says, why do you stand far away from me, Lord? Why do you hide from me when times are troublesome? Here's what he's saying. Lord, I'm in trouble. I'm having all kinds of trials, and I'm questioning, I'm doubting your presence with me. And God answered him. When God reaffirmed to Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child one day, the Bible says, so Sarah laughed to herself. Now her laugh was not a hallelujah, kumbaya, I've got a baby on the way. Her laugh was, you have got to be kidding me, God. Have you realized I'm 90 and he's 100 and the thrill is gone? That woke some of you up for the first time. <laughs> you know what I like about the story? It says, God said to Abraham, Abraham, why did, your, why did Sarah laugh? And 
And then she said, I didn't laugh. And God said, oh, but you did laugh. It was a laugh of doubt. She was saying, you've got to be joking. But here's what I noticed. She wasn't vaporized by an angry God for doubting the promise. So first, take your doubts to God. Second, build your life around what you know is true. Don't order your life around your doubts. Order your life around what you are sure of, certain of. Listen to what Paul said. He said, I am fully persuaded. That means I am utterly 110% convinced that he is able to keep that which I've committed against or committed to him against that day, that God is going to get me to the other side. He's going to get me to glory. He is not going to fail me, not going to forsake me, not going to let me down, not going to walk out on me. I am fully convinced. And so he ordered his life around what he knew to be true. This is what Abraham did when he left his hometown, Ur of the Chaldees, and headed to a place where God said, I'll show you where you're going. When Abraham first started walking, he didn't even know where he was going. He just started walking in the direction God showed. God did not show him the final destination. He just said, start walking. Now, do you think that Abraham had some doubts? Because he was in a city of complete idolatry. They worshiped the sun and the moon. No one in Ur of the Chaldees knew God. And yet somehow, some way, God spoke to this man and said, leave. He told his family, God told me to start walking. You think he didn't have some doubts? But watch this. He built his entire life around what he knew to be true. The undeniable, irrefutable fact that God had spoken to him. So in spite of all the doubts, he walked by faith. And he built his life around what he knew was right. This is what Moses did. As he left the safety of the wilderness and boldly walked into Egypt to deliver God's people. Don't you know that he has some doubts? We know that he had doubts. As soon as God said, I've called you to go to Egypt and deliver the people. Moses said, what, what? Me, you don't understand. I stutter. God said, that's all right, I'll give you Aaron. Now get going. He'll talk for you. Get going. I don't receive excuses. Get going. I don't care how weak you are. Get going. I don't care what you can't do. You're not going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it. Get going. (laughs) He ordered his life around what he knew to be true. God had appeared to him in that burning bush. It was irrefutable, undeniable, so he built his life around what he knew to be true. That's what he did. This is what David did as he ran toward the giant Goliath. Do you think that David did not have a moment of doubt when he's running towards a nine-foot-tall monster who is fully girt in the best armor of that day? Do you think he did not know that he could be pulverized, that he had doubts, but he said, no, here's what I do know. I know the name of my God is great. And even though I've got a sling and a stone, it's not going to be done by me anyway. By God's name, this giant is coming down. And so he built his life around what he knew to be true. He built his life around where his faith was. This is good preaching. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm saying this is the word of God. We need to hear this because some of you are hindered because of doubt. You're dragging because of doubt. You doubt yourself. You doubt God's calling. 
You doubt the veracity of the word. You doubt his presence. You're doubting his healing power. You're doubting. And God's going to set you free from doubt. This is what Job did in the midst of terrible suffering. He took his stand on what he knew was true. And this touches me. This man was suffering in a way we can't imagine. He was surrounded by doubters. Even his own wife looked at him and said, curse God and die, you old fool. I added the old fool part. But that's what she was saying. Get off this faith stuff. Look at you. Where's God? But here's what Job said. Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my flesh is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I will see God. He said, I'm surrounded by doubt. I'm surrounded by negative circumstances, but I'm planting my feet of faith in the one place that I know to be true. I know that I serve the sovereign God of the universe and he's a God of resurrection. And one day there's going to be a judgment and I'm going to be brought before him and I'm going to stand before my redeemer and live. That's what he said. I've told you about the imaginary file that I have in my mind. I have an imaginary file in my mind, and it's marked things I don't understand. There's a lot of things I don't understand. I was telling the first service, I don't understand why God doesn't wrap it all all up. I tell Kathy all the time, if I was God, I'd wrap this whole thing up today. (laughs) I would. All the suffering, all the pain. I don't understand why God waits so long, except he's waiting for those who are yet to come to Christ. But aside from that, it, I just, I would end it. I would wrap it up. I would call it a day. I'd send Jesus right now. I don't understand. But guess what? I have not built my life around what's in that file. That file is in a drawer, and the drawer is marked, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. I don't lean on my own understanding. You know what I do? I build my life around what I know to be true. I am fully persuaded that Jesus Christ is the son of God and his blood and his blood alone came to wash away the sins of mankind. I am fully convinced of the veracity, the truth, the trustworthiness of the word of God. I am convinced that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. I am convinced of the reality of heaven and of hell and of approaching judgment. And I have built my life around these certainties, not around my fleeting doubts. Amen, amen. Now I want to close with this. So you take your doubts to God. You build your life around what you know to be true. And then you keep on walking. Can you say with me, keep on walking. Don't allow your doubts to stop you in the road of your spiritual journey. Don't let doubts put up a roadblock. In your path, your journey, your walk with God. Don't stop moving forward by building a permanent house on Doubt Street. I know people that live on Doubt Street. They used to be in church every time the doors were open. They witnessed everything that moved. And then some doubt came in. And now they've moved to Doubt Street, which is a cul-de-sac, which means you go round and round and you never get anywhere. Listen, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
I will fear no evil. God never intended for his children to build a house in a valley. A valley is always pictured in the word of God as something the children of God go through. They get to the other side. They come out on top. They are more than conquerors through him that love them. He leads us from faith to faith and glory to glory. We don't stay in valleys. We could switch this passage to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of doubt, I will fear no evil. When it comes to a doubt making me doubt God, I say, I doubt it. I doubt my doubt and I believe his word. Doesn't the Bible say weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The heroes of the Bible always kept on moving. Abraham kept on walking. In spite of all their doubts, Abraham kept on walking. Noah kept on building. Joshua kept on marching. David kept on fighting. Daniel kept on praying. Isaiah kept on prophesying. Paul kept on preaching. And Jesus kept on towards the cross. And nothing stopped him. So, Pastor Jeff, you're getting kind of worked up. I am worked up about this. Because I see a church with such incredible potential. Should they say, you know what? Doubts, forget it. I know what is true. I know that he changed me, saved me, rearranged me, renovated me, raised me from the dead. I know that he did. Therefore, I'm going to shake this world for God before I go home. So say with me, take your doubts to God. Build your life around what you know is true. And keep on walking. Can we stand together today? Amen. I want to pray with you. I love you so much in the Lord. I know that sounds, uh, oh, I don't know, like religious speak. But we really do love you in the Lord really do. And we want to see God change you. We want to see you reach your full potential in the Lord. We want to see him do great things for you and through you. Can we bow for a moment of prayer? If you can say today, Pastor Jeff, I do have some doubts. I'm not afraid to admit it. I have some doubts. And I need some answers of peace from God. If that's you today, would you slip your hand up in the air? I'm not going to call you down or anything like that. I'm going to pray with you right where you are. Hold them up again. I have doubts. There's some doubts. I need some answers. Can I assure you, with your hands raised, many, many of you, if you take your doubts to God honestly and sincerely, God will answer you. It may take some time, but you'll wake up one day and realize that he has brought the answer. And it's an answer of peace. Let me pray for you. Put your hands up and I'm going to pray right now. Father, you see these people, your children who are tossed with doubt, who need an answer. And Lord, there's always been an answer of peace. For me, when I sought you, with questions and I know you can answer them now I want you to say with me church say Lord I bring you 
my doubts. Now name it to him. Just name it. Tell him what the doubt is. Verbalize it. Tell him. I sense such a sweet touch from the Spirit of God right now. Now you just gave him something very sacred. That doubt is very personal to you. And having given it to him, you really opened up a door for the Lord to come and answer you. Now I say, Lord, thank you for the answer of peace. And I believe you answer the honest seeker. Lord, for our viewers, by streaming, I want to encourage you there in your house, wherever you are, God loves you. Maybe you're not in church today because you've got doubts. You've been offended. You've been hurt. But God will answer that. He does not want you building your house on Doubt Street. At the very best, pitch a tent that you can take down quickly and move on. So we're praying for you that God will answer you. In Jesus' name. If you needed this today, can you give the Lord a hand of praise? Amen. Amen, amen.